Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Your board members are the guardians who guide your nonprofit sound governance that helps you raise more for your organization and provides a benefit to the community you serve. How do you identify and recruit the best board member candidates possible for your organization? And the other question, of course, once you find them, how do you keep them? How about how do you train them? What skill sets will you be looking for in each board member? Lots of hard work to create a board, to maintain a board, and improve a board, but that is exactly what we're going to be speaking about today. To help us with the discussion, we've invited Dave Schellenbarger to the program. Dave is a retired computer company executive who has since joined several for-profit and non-profit boards. His focus is on board development and improvement, as well as brand development and stakeholder messaging for new and emerging nonprofits. He served on an amazing list of boards, and we're extremely excited to have him here with us today. Dave, welcome to Impactability. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Dave, one of the most popular topics on impactability is the discussion of boards. Now, what I'd like to do today is help nonprofits first create their board and then maintain it and then improve the board that they have. So let's start at the beginning. If I'm a nonprofit looking to start a board, where do I start? There are several directions you can go when you consider planning for your board. The most important thing, of course, is to have people on your board that really care about your organization and are invested, passionately invested in your organization. Some boards are, think of a bank board where people are on that board because they want their name on a list. And that might work for businesses and for corporations, but it really doesn't work for nonprofits. You also need people on your board that have good reputations because their standing becomes part of your brand. If you show your board list and these are people that have outstanding reputations and strong performance in their careers, that says something about your board and your planning and your operations. The other thing about planning for a board is to consider what your strategic plan requirements are going to be. And perhaps as an executive director, what are your strengths and weaknesses? If you're really strong in finance, then maybe you want to concentrate on a person with uh, marketing and public relations and communication skills. Uh, Maybe you're strong in HR, but you're not strong in finance, so you want a CPA. So considering your own strengths and weaknesses as you develop your board, and decide what professional skills, what networking characteristics your board members should have, and perhaps what partnering opportunities might result from including certain board members, all could be important. How do I recruit a board? Starting at the beginning there, where do I start? I think that um, many executive directors and board chairs start with uh, their list of supporters. They look at their people that they know that have worked with them, that they a known quantity, I guess, and consider if they'd be a good board member or not. A good board member to me is a person that's independent, that he has demonstrated level judgment, and doesn't carry individual issues on their shoulder when they approach a meeting, and certainly board members who uh, are in it for the long haul. We're not going to be just six-month members and you know they want to take a vacation, so they drop off the board. The people that, uh, that fit those categories, you're off to a pretty good start. 
What kinds of literature or information should I have at the ready when I'm approaching someone to be on my board? I view that approach as being very similar to an approach to a donor that you're looking, you know, where you're looking for a donation for money. It's pretty much the same thing, except with a board member, you're asking not just for their, hopefully there's some financial support, but you're also asking them for their time, for their talent, to share their experience with you, and also to share their reputation with you. So I think you start the same way. You talk about your case statement. This is what we do and why we do it. These, this is our, we have performance metrics. I think that's important to say we've had this level of success to share part of your vision, your future, your five-year plan, your strategic plan. All is really important to say that, you know, we feel like we're serving 5% of the people that are in our service area. We want to expand that to 25%. That resonates with a board member. And finally, I think if you have some members on your board, to share those names so that the person can see that there are others who are committed and they know them, that, that would have influence as well. When we talk about boards, we always say that it's helpful when board members have certain skill sets. What are some of the skill sets that I should be looking for? That's a really important question. I think it's overlooked many times. For example, if, if maybe you have a, a small number of employees, but if you look down there with two years from now, you may have more employees. You may want to think about an HR professional to join your board because in today's world, having a strong employee handbook, having understanding of how you can offer benefits if you need to offer benefits to employees, how that can be structured and you have a small employee population, you probably need to have some advice about how to deliver those benefits to your employees. Certainly a strong CPA on your board can help you with financial reporting. And even if you have strong skills in financial reporting, you may want to have that financial professional prepare the monthly board or the regular board reports because your donors will ask for those. When you make grant applications, those are important if they're clear, concise, condensed, and even offer some graphical presentations of your data, much more effective in communicating where you are. So those skill sets are really important. And finally, Having a real estate professional and maybe a real estate attorney on your board would be a good ad. So it's strategic, isn't it? I think it's extremely strategic. It's perhaps the biggest single incremental value decision a leader of a nonprofit can make. If you build a strong board, you get the people that, are, that can really provide you the skills we've discussed and to offer their services to help you strengthen the institutionalization of your nonprofit. It's a huge benefit that these people are working as volunteers. Um, obviously, it's a big help to your budget as well. Okay, Dave, loaded question. Should a board member make a financial contribution to be on the board? Yes, unequivocal yes. It, you know, there's a natural reaction to this because often the people you want on your board are compassionate, enthusiastic, uh, empathetic people but they're not making a lot of money. So they think, well, if I join the board, we have to give $10,000. The answer is no. But every board member should make a donation that's in, in line with their own capacity. It's very important when you approach a donor or you write a grant request or you're, you're working in a partnership, want to work with a partnership with, a, with another organization, you're saying our board members are all in. Every single board member makes a financial contribution. It could be $10, but... To be able to say that every board member is in is really important. Giving in proportion to a board member's capacity is an underlying value that every organization should have. Okay, so now I've got a few people that have said that they will be on my board. 
Now, is there a set number or a scale of the number of board members that I should have? No, I don't believe there is. In my experience, I've been on five-member boards that were really effective, and I've been on 25-member boards that filled their roles very well. I think the differentiator is uh, that if you have too few people, you might be missing some really important skill sets that you want that would be very important to help you achieve your strategic plan. If you have too many board members, some of those people will feel like they're wasting your time. They won't show up at the board meetings. And it kind of gives the board a feeling of, you know, kind of a lackadaisical feeling. And it means that responsibilities are too dispersed. No one board member may feel that they have enough responsibility to uh, cause them to want to continue on your board. An exception is if you have a major fundraising plan, then a larger board can really help you because if you select your board members considering their uh, those extra board members considering their networks, their areas of contact, their areas of influence, their influence, their presence on your board can help you reach those people and broaden your fundraising appeal. And that can be pretty important. That can be really valuable. My board is in place and now I've got them committed to my organization. What are some things I can do to maintain this terrific board that I have? I think keeping them involved in what's going on an operational basis helps to retain board member interest. You know, you chose these people because they're active, they're important, they have careers and they're working hard. So in order to keep them engaged, you have to respect their time and make sure when you provide information to them that it's valuable, important information, short emails, short updates, condensed information, messaging on a diet. So that if at the last board meeting you talked about trying to add two people when you had those two people just a quick message to say hey you know we achieved what we set out to go here's the two people brief bios excited to have them on board so they feel like they know what's going on the same thing that they would get inside their own organizations from their own staff their own co-workers would be the same kind of thing you'd want to offer to them also to include them in strategic planning make sure that they know that their opinions in the long-term plan are very important so that they're part of that dialogue. They're expected to be at strategic planning sessions, that strategic goals and, and achievement to those goals, moving toward those goals is regularly communicated. I think those things are important. And finally, probably in board meetings, you know, if you have something that's on your mind, ask them for their input. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to do what they say, but say, you know, we got this, we got this issue. Our insurance is, is lapsing and we've got five people that want to bid. But you know, do you know somebody? Help me out here. Who do you know that could help us get through this insurance crisis? Pretty regular event these, this year. So those sorts of things are important. Ask for advice. Appreciate the advice. Communicate regularly. Keep your messaging short. Make them feel like they're as important as anybody else in the organization. Okay, Dave, a moment ago I said that they were a terrific board. Who assesses this terrific board? And what does that process look like? That, you know, that can vary by organization, but I think certainly the executive director is looking for input from these people. If you're not getting input that's useful, if they're saying no to everything, if they're not participating, if they're not coming to meetings, pretty obvious that that board member probably needs to be evaluated. And the board chair should probably be the one that does it because the board chair is the leader of the board. In most organizations, the executive director is employed by and reports to the board. So if that's the case, then the board chair is responsible to have that judgment on the board member. But it certainly needs to be a joint, in my opinion, needs to be a joint 
decision between the executive director and the board chair. And I think asking board members to self-assess annually is a good idea too. Our guest today is Dave Schellenbarger. We're talking about creating, maintaining, and improving your board. So far, we've covered two of the three. So we're going to take a short break and come back with ways that you can improve your board. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then, of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos, and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Dave Schellenbarger, about creating, maintaining, and improving your board. And just as a reminder, another edition of Coach's Corner coming up in a few minutes. Stay tuned for that. Now, Dave, in your introduction, I alluded to the list of boards that you have served on during your career. What is it about serving on boards that attracts you? Why do you do it? My experience started a long time ago when I I have an interest in theater and I was invited to join a theater board in our town where we lived. Our kids were growing up and uh, didn't take a lot of time, but I really found it was fascinating because I didn't know a lot about theater. I just enjoyed theater. And as I participated in that board, I realized how, how much I was learning and how much it was helping me have better perspective and the other things that I was doing because I had this different set of responsibilities. And I wound up chairing that board for 11 or 12 years and I really enjoyed it. But then I got involved in other things. And when I retired, I was fairly young and we changed cities. And the city that I moved to was growing very fast. And I joined a community foundation board where I had experience in my previous location. And the community foundation was having trouble figuring out where to donate because parts of our county were growing so fast that social service agencies weren't located there. But it was obviously a lot of people were living there. So I decided to do a community needs assessment. And over seven, eight months, I interviewed pretty much every nonprofit director in that county, in the adjacent county, to learn what they did. We could provide a source, of a single source, where we could understand all the various people trying to serve their particular constituencies. And that report was well-received. It helped me understand the width and breadth of first of all, our society, our community, the range of needs, as well as how some people were solving those, resolving those needs and other people weren't. So I guess it helped me understand that agencies really can make a difference. So when I was invited on a board, I generally said yes. And when I sunsetted from one board, I found myself being invited on another and uh, that resulted in the experience that I've had. But it's been really satisfying. And I, underlying it all is just a real steady curiosity I have about what's going on. And I really enjoy finding new situations, understanding them, and trying to help move them forward. That is a great story, Dave. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's get back into improving our board. Can you give us some steps to do that? Yeah, I think that the, in my experience, that the best thing is to 
concentrate on your strategic plan. And as you look at the actions that are necessary to complete your plan, think about the skill sets you need available to execute that plan. I think it becomes pretty clear how you want to recruit. To do it, I certainly would start with my own board and say that I need a real estate professional. I need a HR person. I need a communications expert. I need a social media person. And ask them to think about people who might be good candidates. You can certainly go to places like a community association of United Way that have community perspective to ask them if they can make suggestions that would help you build your board, make it stronger. You might be surprised how many people they have available they, they know of that might be good candidates. And f- but finally, don't try to do it in your own head. You don't have to come up with all these things yourself. Rely on your own network. Those things I described to help you come up with candidates. Make a list. Think about it for a while. Don't jump at the first good idea. And you'll find that in a month or two, you can develop a really good list of candidates and probably make some pretty good decisions. But Dave, I've got a great board. They don't need improving. Or do they? (laughs) I think we all hope that's how we view our board. And that's really a great place to be. But I think that if you put yourself in your board member's position and think about the things that you could offer them that they might value, you'll find that will lead you to some answers. Would it be good to have outside sources come in and do seminars about uh, your particular area of expertise, your, your particular agency, what you're doing? Would it be good to have a friendly nonprofit board leader or executive director come into your board member, your board meeting to talk about what they're doing and initiatives that they've created? So you kind of enrich the thinking of the board by doing these things. At the same time, remember you're taking their time. So you have to be jealous of the, you have to be as jealous of their time as you, as they are. And those are important things to keep in mind, but you can certainly add value by bringing in outside resources and broadening their knowledge. At the same time, maybe you just, you want to thank your board. Maybe it's a pizza and salad place at your house or at a local restaurant, just a social evening, get together, talk bring spouses and make it a congratulatory event where you as the executive director are thanking them with this demonstration, just, you know, just a social time together to thank them for their achievements. And it gives you surprised how much value a board member would put with that. Dave, how often should I be reviewing a board member's performance? Reviewing board members' performance is always kind of a sensitive thing because these people are volunteering to come to your meetings. And after all, they're busy and they've got a lot of things on their plate. At the same time, if a board member is not contributing, it's pretty important to recognize that. And to go back to what I said earlier, I think that if you ask, have lunch with a board member, that you doubt their passion, uh, their uh, their contribution, and just ask them you know, how they feel about being on the board. There's something that they would like to do that hasn't been offered to them. Is there an area they'd like to participate in that they're not engaged in? And get their own opinion. I think you'd be surprised how often board members self-assess and If they think they're not contributing, then they can tell you and perhaps you can resolve it together. I've had that experience with boards. I've I've been on boards where I found myself not in tune with what the future plan was for that particular organization. And sit down with the executive director, we often found that there was a common ground there. We could both address that and help it not be a problem. So how much of this is on the board chair and how much of this is on the executive director? I think, the, I think the board chair has primary responsibility for uh, doing board member assessment, but I think the executive director has a role 
to ask the question, to raise the issue, to suggest that the board chair take action. And I think every board chair will do that. If you're leading a board, you want to show that board in the best possible light and, and have that board be the best board it can be. And if the board chair will respond to that request and hopefully will initiate it themselves. But a way to make sure it happens is to put it on the, the board agenda at a meeting every year. Maybe it's the start of the calendar year. Maybe it's the start of your fiscal year. Maybe there are programs that sort of precipitate a lot of action in your organization every year. Maybe it's right after those things are over. How are we doing? How are everybody feeling? All those things can help you achieve assessment without making it a big negative thing. Wow, Dave, this has been absolutely fantastic. If our listeners want to either create, maintain, or improve their board, you have given us some excellent reference. Thank you so much for being on Impactability today. My pleasure, Joe. I really enjoyed this. That sound means it's time once again for Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us, and they could be about anything in the nonprofit world. It could be just something you need another opinion on, whatever it is, some advice. We take your questions and we send them over to our impact coaches. We put them up against these questions and see if they can answer your question. And not only that, but they only have five minutes to do it, so it's not as easy as it sounds. And today's question, this is a tough one. Our impact coach is Cheryl Sukup, the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. Cheryl, short question, but this is a tough one. The question is, Cheryl, what is a logic model and why do I need one? Sounds simple, but I know it's going to be a complex answer. Cheryl, you only have five minutes on Coach's Corner. Your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. So a logic model is a planning tool, and it's usually a one-page chart or table that has multiple columns in it. And it's really a visual representation of how your project or program is designed to work and what the outcomes are going to be. Starting with the left-hand column, you begin with inputs. What are the resources you need to do your work? staff, people, human resources. It might be things like technology or program supplies. It could be vehicles or facilities, but the inputs are the resources you will need to do the work. Whether it's a project or a program, if you don't have these resources, the project or program would not be possible. The next column is activities. These activities are the work that you do to fulfill your mission. Next, is a column titled outputs. And this is what your work will produce once you have completed it. And then the next column is outcomes. These are the things that have changed as a result of your work. And finally, impact or long-term outcomes. So an example might be a food bank. What inputs they might need, same as many other organizations, but they might be specific. They might need a certain kind of technology. And for their vehicles, they might need refrigerated vehicles. They might need specific types of facilities, such as warehouses or refrigerated storage units, etc. The activities that a food bank might do to fulfill their mission are collect food donations, purchase items that uh, they won't receive as donations, recruit, screen, train, and retain volunteers to do much of the food bank work, and then distribute food to partners. Outputs would be what their work produced. And so that might result in 100 million pounds of food collected. 
that might be an output. Some sample outcomes of a food bank may be 95% of the households achieve food security within one month, or 85% of the households served reported an increase in fruit and vegetable intake. So basically what you're saying is you're going to achieve the why of your program or project within a certain period of time. And this is how much of the why is going to happen. And so some people confuse outputs with outcomes and will say as an outcome that a million pounds of food was collected as an outcome. That's not really an outcome. That's an output. It's something that your work produced or caused to happen, but it's not ultimately the why of your program or your project. The outcomes are the why and the outputs are the what. So that's an important distinction that a lot of people confuse. So when you're writing outcomes uh, and measuring them, you really want to measure the change in individuals or the community that you're seeing as a result of your program or project. These are some of the intricacies in putting together a logic model and your grant funders are going to be looking for all of the information in all of the columns. So the last one, and this is really why most of the foundations want to fund your work, and this is a systemic or societal change that affects people other than your direct participants. They want to change the world in some way. An impact might be the the whole community's hunger problem was reduced by 25% within three years. Like that might be a long-term outcome that could result from your program. Nutrition was improved by 10% among the patient populations of 90% of the region's participating federally qualified health centers. Can you see how like choosing some partners that would collect data with you and help demonstrate that impact community-wide or region-wide or statewide or nationally could really make a very big difference in how a funder sees your program or your project and the level of impact that it can make. That's, that's really critical. So thinking through all of this, if you think through how you're going to measure your outcomes and your impact, it can have a really big, big difference in how your program or project is structured. So thinking with the end in mind, the outcome or the impact in mind helps you structure a better program or project. And that's what funders are looking for. And that's what you should be looking for too as a nonprofit leader. Well, Cheryl, I have to admit, I thought this was going to be a tough one, but you definitely nailed it. A logic model. Why do we need them? Cheryl, thank you so much for answering our question today and being our impact coach on impactability. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.